the core of entrepreneurship. You're creating a business so that you will have a job that fits you perfectly. I guess that's it. <laughs> so not only product market fit, but product market founder fit. It's like, are you the right guy for this particular business? Hello there. Welcome to Rome FM. Here we dive into the minds, workflows, and machinations of the Rome cult, the believers of Rome research. My name is Norman Cella, and I am on a mission to deconstruct wisdom from all walks of life so we can understand each other better. In this episode, we talk with Khalil Corazo, who is building a playbook for deploying genomic pathogen surveillance in the global south. And that project is called Project Accessible Genomics. Not only that, Khalil is on a mission to create training environments for using Rome for project management. A prolific thinker when it comes to project management, genomics, productivity, entrepreneurship, and just really seeing what works. Khalil is an experimenter with many different techniques, tools, and once he had stumbled into Rome, he had started building his own Zettelkasten and from there the possibilities were endless. As the longest episode so far in Rome FM, it's going to be pretty hard to give you a summary of what we actually talked about, but it ranged from project management in the Rome environment, fabricating serendipity between Rome individuals and the output behind creating that kind of environment, Khalil's take on applying the business model canvas for the field of genomics and the different tools to make sure that he is effective and at the top of his game, notably the Ryder and the Stallion model and the rest of the Idea to Reality production stack, which is a notable article written in Rome Brain by Khalil. So we started off getting right into the meat of the conversation, so you are in for a wild ride. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's dive into my chat with Khalil Corazo, also known as Rome Foo. But it's less of a Q&A. And honestly, it's more of a conversation. Conversation, all right. Yeah, yeah. I also want to ask you some questions. Would that be all right? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, maybe later on. Yeah. I'm just interested in what you've um, discovered as you've um, interviewed <laughs> all these uh, Romans. Oh, wow. <laughs> so interesting. It is so interesting. I know you said that. Uh, I know you said that having this podcast is cheating. I I honestly agree. Like I I never. Uh, I think I've only just uh, only after you said it that I was like, oh yeah, I can make these connections, right? Like oh, I have so much power. Anyway, uh, although in the end these are my observations, like these are conversations with them. But I, I'm starting to see like patterns, even if I'm, even if I haven't formally started making proper pages and connections and stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember just walking throughout my day and just being like. Oh, that can work. Oh, that can connect, etc. But we can we can bring it out. We can bring them up later. Um, yeah, this is one way of like um, fabricating serendipity as well. I mean, it's something um, I've been trying to do as well with some meetups. And um, what you're doing is another option, like mm. to talk to people and see, um, you know, what uh, what ideas sort of um, come out from the conversations. Are the meetups Rome related, or is it more like a specific field, and then you? collect and record what was mentioned in the meetup yeah. and then later on you try to create those connections uh, are you already okay. recording this is this part of the already? i i have the recording already automatic but we can always just get right into it because this is exactly yeah, what cool. i wanted like this yeah, is exactly, yeah, exactly. What, yeah yeah so yeah so actually this was like um mm. we actually i prototyped this like last may it was this idea like uh, what would happen if you like a mashup, the idea of the Zettelkasten and the mastermind 
So the mastermind is actually where I discovered Rome. Um, uh-huh. It's a uh, have you heard about this? Like uh, what what mastermind is? I, I am aware of what a mastermind can be, but uh, how yeah. about you see, share with me your definition and see how it goes. Yeah. So for us, um, our version of it is that every month I meet with three to five other entrepreneurs and we we follow this very simple agenda. First, um, our wins from since the last time we met. Second, our challenges, our current challenges. Third, our goals or our system upgrades. And fourth, like the cool things we discovered since the, the, since the last time we met. So um, it's, it's, it's like a... Um, it's a great way to to have some sort of um, a team as you go through your entrepreneurial journey. Because sometimes it's very it's a lonely journey. I mean, you're mm, yeah. you're um, you know it's it, you don't have colleagues, you have teammates, but you, you sort of have to be you have to act like the the guy who knows what he's doing. And uh, with this with this group, I mean, they're not in this we're not in the same company. But we are sort of playing the same game, so we could talk about these things. And um, so I discovered the Rome from that uh, conversation, also the book, How to Take Smart Notes. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering, so this idea of Zettelkasten, of uh, fabricating serendipity between your ideas, you know, what would it be like if you actually bred that with this idea of the mastermind? So to fabricate serendipity between individuals. So I reached out to some people on Twitter who were following me, who I knew were um, using Rome back in May. So I just organized, like, hey, so I have this idea. I could actually send you the, the pitch I sent them. It's, it's, it's in their yeah. own page. <laughs> so I and then say, okay, let's, let's match up these two ideas. So you sign up, put your time zone there, and I'll... I'll I'll mash you up. I'll um, organize like groups, small groups where you could talk. And here's a the, the agenda I I just mentioned. I suggested to them. So and the purpose is like maybe we'll fabricate serendipity from this. And then um, you know it was uh, it was a bit difficult. I mean uh, the first time to do it and all the logistics. But uh, well, I mean I already I see now the the value of it. Because um, just like a week ago, so the editor of uh, Rome Brain, Francis, yeah, Francis, and uh, Ramses, they actually met during that prototype of this uh, oh. this thing. <laughs> oh, so wait, what? Wait, yeah, exactly. So, so, so <laughs> it 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 uh, it works, you know. So serendipity happened because of the simple. Um, meet up. So now I, I want to do it. I want to do more of it. I mean, like, based on the first iteration, I learned so many things on how to do this. I have some ideas. And I'm just going to make this part of um, this training I'm uh, I'm preparing on using Rome for project management. And also I'm thinking, like, how do we, how do we think together about how to use Rome for this idea to reality production stack, like, uh, you know, making projects, making businesses based on ideas and then do it together. So maybe that's, uh, I'm still figuring out how you could actually do that. 
but uh, but I have proof that you know that this thing actually oh works. <laughs> so wait, wait, you're telling me that you set the foundation for Rome stacks to happen? Well, the right? foundation was there. I just uh, I just it. like uh, I was the matchmaker, you know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, wow! I set up the date, and then they met, and then there were four of them in that meeting, and then. And you know, like this is like a very interesting group of people. So I'm sure, like, mm. there will be some interesting interactions and serendipities that will happen if you just bring people together. So, so I'm looking forward to that, um, to making that that happen. Yeah, to make it happen more often, and exactly, uh, yeah. N- not only, you know, not only. <laughs> oh, I was, my mind's still blown. Okay, not only fabricating serendipity in that way, but. How will the result change if you have different individuals attending uh, this other mastermind? And I, I, you said that it's a prototype, right? So you're still in the middle of yeah, exactly. So what, what, what? You know, it's like the like the only way to figure out whether it would work was actually is to to test it. Mm. And there it was. It's like I, I thought I that it wouldn't fit any of my which all these projects right now, mm. but uh, it's, I think it would fit very well with 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 training because um yeah i mean a lot of people are thinking about it's like how do you actually teach people online and i think um my experience with doing uh or orchestrating experiential learning is very applicable to the situation right now because i actually i mean like the i did this project management training for um a project team for a project I'm running right now, like a, when was that, a month ago. And it was just lecture-based, meaning I would just talk about the concepts and show examples of project management. But it was kind of frustrating. It was like, like prior to this, I've been doing project management trainings, but it was always hands-on, meaning mm. I would show them the tools and then the participants would actually use it for their actual projects. So like, how do we actually... Um, implement that in an online environment. So I think this having groups of people and having a sort of competition to present or to use the tools um, and then present the results, I think that could work. So this is the next thing I'm trying to, I will test. So a lot of people have already um, signed up for that, um, for the training. So it's going to be in Rome, like the con- the text will be in Rome, the, the way I sent you the JSON file mm. and you read the article from there. So the training will be there. They read it. I mean, the, the, the theory will be read from Rome so that they immediately like create connections with their own database. They highlight, they do whatever they're used to doing in Rome. And then the actual learning will actually be the application of that with a team. So... Yeah, I think that's gonna be. I'm excited about that. You know, uh, it's gonna be my next uh, my next experiment. This sounds super fascinating, especially. <laughs> so I I know because so so to to set to set the context uh, for those listening, uh, you sent me the article before it was published in JSON yep. format, so that I can have a look at it um, in my own private room. Mm-hmm. And of course, I was already blown away by the article. Uh, you already noticed. Um, and you. and when generally generally like really impressed especially the diagrams honestly like completely got it in like five seconds i was like whoa um and now that you're, you're telling me that technically 
you're sending either a guide, instruction manual, or a textbook, I don't know what you'll call it, mm-hmm. in JSON format, and then apply it in Rome. Instead of you presenting it or delivering it, which has constraints in one, your ability to deliver said content, uh, you send it in a file that everybody can access to, assuming that you know we all have uh, our own graph. They access it, and it's up to them to play the information. But mm-hmm. by setting the context for them to actually use these, use this knowledge, like apply uh, these tools, that's going to be pretty fascinating. You actually just triggered a memory in me because I was trying to find alternative methods to go through a degree or like to actually obtain a degree. And I remember something called Hyper Island. I'm not sure if you know about it, um, but it's it's essentially project-based certification, which is akin at the same level as university. And what they would do is that they would actually put, pe- put people in teams um, of different skill sets and have principles to lead them from you know week one to week something. And your final project is what you'll be based on. So instead of like, vomiting all this information out via a lecture or just giving you 10,000 textbooks to buy or whatever. It's more like, this is where we will be going to. Do what you can to learn. And I will do my best to guide you as your, you know, your teacher or consultant or something like that. Yeah. Um, I think the possibility there would be pretty interesting. Uh, I, I do want to see the results of this. Uh, I think... Yes, I, yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, interesting. yeah, so what's the plan now, actually? So you said that if you have already signed up for the next batch and... Yeah, so the, the plan now um, is I'm going to finish the first module okay. of that and then I'm going to send it to those who signed up, get some feedback and then schedule. Uh, it's going to be like two weeks. So it's going to be four, four meetings and uh, each meeting, it's not really a meeting actually, it's like uh, four starting points. Mm. So the starting points, okay, the first one is like, okay, so so guys, so these are your teams. So I introduce you to them. I give suggestions on how to, I mean, the objective here is not only to learn project management, but also to see if there is some serendipity between, uh, I mean, among the, 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 the t- your teammates. And then... And you work together. I mean, you have a you have an output which is to use these project tools for an existing project. So, and then you have an output. And I think it will be more interesting if it's going to be a competition. <laughs> like, okay, mm. you know, you produce the best output you can, and then we'll select a winner or something like that. You know, it's like uh, just to make it more fun. And then, so the first maybe after a few days, it starts on a Tuesday. On Friday, they submit the first round. Um, I answer questions that they may have, maybe through a recorded or a Zoom meeting, which we record and share to everyone. And then next round, next output. So we go through the different project management tools through these activities, these team activities. And then by the end, they would have um, completed or produced uh, documents using these tools and using Rome um, and then learning through that. Another reason actually is similar to why you're, um, why you're doing a podcast is like, I want to see how people use Rome for these tools. Because like there, mm. I mean, I mean, I'm saying the way you use Rome is very, uh, what you call this? Um, I'm not very technical. I'm using Rome. There's like a lot of guys there who's, 
who knows all the what you call this the 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 features and could I'm sure could think of different ways and new ways of using these frameworks in Rome. So I want to see that as well. I want to learn from them. So that's another reason why I'm uh, organizing this. So you want <laughs> you just want to learn from them, right? Just a professional excuse to gather uh, a lot of these uh, Rome experts to come in and share like uh, their workflows. And I think that's the biggest one. Um, mm-hmm. That's partly that's also partly why I started the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to be this beacon of light where I set the precedence for people to gather and those who are willing to step on stage and share how they use Rome everybody benefits. It's a win-win situation. And that was the single biggest reason behind me making the Rome FM graph public. I I felt that that was very, very important. And I think it's because I could have made it private. I could have just not cared about everybody and then just kept it to myself and then do whatever I want with the information that I've gathered and just really kept to myself, made the connections and whatever. I, this was a very experimental thing for me as well to have a public graph. No, just in general, because, you know, Rome, to me, it's still a relatively new tool. It relatively new in terms of possibilities with it. That That's what I mean. Uh, usage has been months, so it's okay. But a public podcast graph where conversations of the Rome cult are interconnected it's literal evidence of serendipity, right? If I make the connections between each and every episode, like I am literally writing serendipity or threading serendipity between each person. And uh, I realized that when I made the, the Rome graph public. And probably this is when you might have questions for me here uh, because the first few episodes that were released and maybe because you've already been listening to the last few episodes, I have segments in in the show. And these segments are always constant. They're always consistent from a podcasting point of view. It is, it's considered an audio signature. And what that means is that psychologically speaking, people get used to that routine. So they would expect that guest to answer that specific question. Um, But because of Rome, you can connect these segments together. Mm -hmm. So no matter what you do with each episode, if those segments still exist, I can always connect the episode in some way. So even if you talk about project management in one episode and then like the new episode today that just came out, Mark Robertson is talking about history and live roaming and college. I will find connections between the both of you. Like no matter what, that is the crazy part about Rome. Like that's what makes it really exciting. So to see that you're trying to achieve this level of interconnected possibilities uh, with this you know, experiential learning experience is going to be very, very uh, fascinating. Who who are the kinds of people that you want to target in terms of this? Like who will be most, uh, who will be, who will be the ones who would most benefit from this? I'm assuming that they would at least have a Rome graph, but is there anything else that, that you should consider or we should consider? That's basically it. Uh, As long as they're using Rome, I think, um, and they sign up because like, uh, they sign up because either they saw they thread they posted or I mean all the all the links to the sign up page is from from these uh, content from the article just uh, published from threads in the Romefu um, Twitter account and yeah so I mean if you signed up I guess uh, it, it would probably fit you okay awesome 
Right. So let's let's dive into that article because there's I have a few questions. Uh, I I do ooh, ooh. have a question. So we have the 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 header image is essentially a summary of every single tool that you can learn in terms of idea to reality, which is fantastic. And then a lot of the article is detailing each and every tool and yeah. how it can fit the various use cases. I'm seeing one here called the writer and the stallion. Can you tell me what that is? <laughs> right. But before we go going there, just to oh, yeah. correct, uh, it's it's um, those are frameworks that mm. I use and know. Um, what I'm hoping to to uh, learn as well as we talk about this is like what are the other frameworks that other people are using, so we could add it to these to this uh, idea to reality production stack. You know, it's like a list there of all the things you could use. So, and going to the um, uh, Rider and Stallion mm. uh, productivity model, I don't know, I think many of uh, in Rome cult are like serial experimenter, uh, uh, experimenters of uh, productivity techniques. So I've been doing that as well. Um, certain things work for me, others didn't. So this is like a summary of what has worked for me in the past years. And one problem that I've encountered in the past is that um, sometimes I would just um, spend hours like uh, wasting time in YouTube or something like that. It's like mindlessly <laughs> watching YouTube videos. It's like, oh, this doesn't make sense. Why am I doing this? And, um, and in the past months, that's disappeared. And I think it's because of this model that I now recognize that it's not only meaning and purpose which drives me, but there's also a part of me that um, that is more, I guess, uh, animal-like, and that is a stallion. So the rider is moved by purpose and meaning, while the stallion is moved by, uh, you know, um, belongingness, you know, things like that, and recognition and things like that, you know, it's like, um, and what inspired this was uh, this book by uh, Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow. Um, there he talks about system one and system two and how we make decisions. Like in the human mind, there is um, that quick instinctive uh, decision making, uh, system one, uh, and then system two is the more deliberate and more um, reason-based uh, way of making decisions. So I think there's an, uh, it's analogous to how we're motivated as well. And this is not a, I mean, this is an ancient, which call this insight, because even Aristotle um, would say that um, our relationship or the intellect and the Will's relationship with the with the passions or emotions is he uses the word uh, political, meaning it's not despotic. It's not like you're programming a uh, you know some piece of software. It just obeys you whatever you tell it, you tell it to. This is more of like you have to negotiate, you have to cajole, you have to. Uh, it's like it's like uh, essentially dealing with a pet dealing with a stallion so um so that has that has worked for me 
and that has implications in how I mean the, the I guess the, the fundamental thing there is also having a healthy healthy body and a healthy brain. You know, like uh, the way sleep, exercise, and um, nutrition plays a part in in your productivity. So, because you know, the stronger your stallion and your rider is, the the faster you can go. So, I mean, it's it's like a, it's an image that helps me remember all these these things that um, I need to do to be able to 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 produce to bring things to reality. And in in concrete terms, what does it, what does it mean in my daily work? So it means that my calendar is as open as possible, mm. so that every day I could ask myself, okay, what is like what is both meaningful for the writer, which is like what is aligned towards my uh, my vision, my goals, my purpose in life, and what does what is attractive to the stallion. So. It's like in the morning when I do my my written meditation, I look at my my daily page. I see there first my messages from the past, like my past self tagged this current day. Okay, I'm gonna do this. Okay, so some of them I'll I'll put it in my in my to do list for the day, and also ask answer this question. It's like uh, what am I excited about? What's what do I want to bring to reality now? So because uh, most of the time you're not constrained by, I mean, you don't need to do just this one thing today. You have many tasks that bring you closer to your different visions. So just pick one. If you pick one which is which your stallion is most excited about for that day, you will just uh, run faster. So that's the main idea there of that model. Okay, I like this analogy. Actually, that's that's I, I've been having a lot of trouble with that. The relationship between, at least my metaphor of it is, um, uh, logic, emotion, and strength. So mm-hmm. you know, logic as in, what should I do, right? You know, these are the things that have deadlines. These have rigidity. They have order. There's a certain way to do it. You know, it involves other people. You have to be professional about it. Emotion is what you want to do, which is closer to what the stallion would be, where it's what you want to do that is most attractive right now. Maybe it's a, you know, a, a thought that you've had that's fleeting and then you want to dwell on it more uh, or you want to explore writing an essay or something else. It's not really, you know, part of the day that you chose for it to do like it's not part of your to-do list for that day maybe but it's still attractive like should i do it or should i not and strength in this case is relative it's the relationship between the both of them so sometimes i feel that i would be weak or i'm showing signs of weakness by doing things that may or may not be attractive to both and that's when i just get blown out like i just don't want to do anything um and it's mainly because i'm doing just one task and emotion dictates that I just hate would hate to do it and I'm doing this other task and I'm enjoying it so much but then at the end of the day was it valuable does it bring it closer to my vision no then logic would be disappointed so like you have this uh very strange relationship um yeah yeah so this is the same problem I'm, I'm trying to solve yeah and uh, the answer I found is well first you could actually just whip your stallion to submission <laughs> But the thing is, it, it, at some point, it will rebel, especially if you're tired. So 
the the concept that I found to be the solution is compassionate mastery, meaning the rider is still the master, meaning discipline still equals freedom. You still have to develop the discipline. You have to strengthen the rider. But at the same time, the rider has to have compassion over the stallion. So, yeah, because like we are not simply our our system too, you know? We're not, sim- we're not only the rider. You're, we, we have to identify ourselves both with the rider and the stallion because the, our emotions are part of us. And for us to truly ride fast, you know, we have to, we have to, we have to learn how to ride the stallion. So that's how I think about it. Hmm, okay. It feels like uh, really establishing the relationship between what will you do to forgive yourself or what will you do to give yourself that freedom uh, to do what is satisfying to you? And I, that's, you know, without, without one, you won't have the other, right? You, we, we cannot be whole if we have our stallion missing or if, and riders can't, they're not walk, they're not meant to walk on the floor there. They're yeah. meant to ride with their horses. So, okay, okay. This is, this is pretty fascinating. So and if also, you want to- A key point as well is like, there's not only one thing that the stallion is attracted to, so you have many things you could present to the stallion. Yeah. Of course, you have to steer the stallion away from those directions which you know where are will lead you nowhere. But the thing is like, hey, why don't we go here? This is one vision I have. How about this other one? So I'm sure out of all those things that you want to accomplish in the next few months, the next few years, there's probably one there which your stallion is uh, attracted to for that day. You know? So I think that's a key point there. I can imagine it or I can visualize it to be like food, right? This food looks attractive. That food looks attractive. <laughs> but then remember to point your stallion in a way where you look further down that way and down at the end of the horizon yeah. is the most delicious thing you can ever eat. So let us keep going that way. And hopefully exactly. the stallion will say yes. Hopefully. Or like you have a choice between junk food, which is delicious, and you have uh, like steak here. Like, okay, let's go to the steak. So this is also delicious. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Okay. You're giving me ideas on there. Okay. Well, wow. Okay. This is interesting. All right. So if you were to try to transpose that kind of feeling into Rome, is it a combination of one, your morning pages and two, something else that you would do halfway through the day to make sure that you're on track? Is there something I'm missing there in terms of mm-hmm. trying to apply this? Well, my but morning pages, it's, it's a um, technique by, I don't remember the author. I wrote it there in the article. And it's essentially just uh, writing, freely writing, like without inhibition. Yeah. Uh, I rarely do that. Um, okay. I think, well, it's part of a, it's, the, the book is called The Artist's Way. And it's a creative recovery program that they present. And that's one of the tools. Um, I think if I'm, I were a professional artist, I, I probably should do it every day. But I only do that now if, like, if there's something that's like in my mind which I, which is obsessing me, but I don't want it to be there, so I have to release it in some way. So that's the a way that this morning pages is quite helpful in. Um, what I do instead is this: it's like a sort of um, written meditation. Like I have a template of things uh, I answer every day. Like for instance, what is the number one thing? Uh, it is important for my work today. And that's when I ask as well, like the vision 
and then the appetite of the stallion. And then it's what is the number one thing I should do for my friends and family today? What is the number one thing I should be doing for my habits today? And of course, like as many as, so what am I thankful for today, especially the ordinary thing? So this this is my basic uh, template for that morning ritual. And then we all, I also do that in the afternoon um, to sort of reset. Um, but that's basically it. That's, uh, I've, I've choose my, my vision for the day based on that morning, uh, morning practice. Okay. I want to have a look at that template. Cause I think that sounds pretty interesting, um, for people to want, who wants to implement, uh, this model in the, the one thing I would do want to highlight is the ability to reset halfway through the day. Mm-hmm. A lot of, uh, I feel like a lot of templates would always start with in the morning. And then at night, right? It's just, let me set the feeling for the day or, you know, let me set the energy for the, for the whole day, do all these things, and then at night review them. That's pretty good. It is pretty good. Sometimes mm-hmm. I feel it's not enough. And sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like a noon or an afternoon review or reset is actually very, very important because you don't know how much you're going to do for that morning. I- I'm not sure how your work routine is, but for me, I do a lot of deep work in the morning. Like all of my yeah, deep work yeah, is right. Well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so more it's like the, the way I uh, frame it is like um, morning for craft, afternoon for hustle. That's, uh, mm. <laughs> so it's like, it's also like another, like your stallion is different in the morning and in the afternoon. So you want to give the, the those different stallions, different tasks. Mm. So it's similar to you. Like the morning is really, uh, has a lot of possibilities in terms of deep work. So I a lot like creative work in the morning. Um, yeah. Yeah. I adapted that from, um, I'm not sure if you noticed, manager and maker days, if you've ever heard of that mm, system. Yeah. yeah. So What's his name, um, the Y Combinator guy who, who had the essay, right? The uh, uh, manager and maker, um, Paul Graham. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Paul Graham. Yeah. So for those who don't know, you just dedicate days where you are creating things and you dedicate days where you are managing or doing admin things. Um, it sets the mood or the intention for the entirety of the day. And by having that distinction, you are set to create or you are set to manage. Uh, so you know what to expect in terms of, you know, your, your general output or your general direction. Um, for, for some people, it can work. Uh, for me, it doesn't. I've had to change that by... Switching it to morning and afternoon, and yeah. that's mainly because my my thoughts start racing already from the morning. So I have to create something, or I have to write something down before we can initiate the rest of the day. So oh, yeah, another okay. thing I do actually is like I just remember now is like I I pass a lot of tasks to my future self because mm. like right now it's like I'm I'm on this momentum of uh, for instance writing. So this is this time is precious because. I'm already in a state of flow. I don't want to lose this. So those tasks I I listed down for the day, I just tag another future date for that if I could. And so that's another, and then I forget that until the day when I when I when I see it in the morning, I say, hey, this is my message for my my past self. So maybe I can do this today. Yeah, uh, that relationship uh, between your past self and your current self, where in terms of like setting tasks, it's a it's a bit like making like sort of like building or creating your own boss, which I really have trouble with um, because setting tasks to myself, 
I struggle even until now. So I do the same as well. Just tag them to my future self. If I can't do it or I don't feel like doing it now, at least I can set the mood for a different day by setting it at that date and be like, okay, I need to do this episode uh, on this day, uh, which helps a lot because, because there's nothing more overwhelming than not knowing what you're meant to do and the day starts. That's really scary for me. That is uh, really scary. I just realized something. I'm looking at your, your image, the, uh, all the list of frameworks. Do you know the gap in the gain from strategic coach? No, after that. What is it? Uh, sure. So the, the gap in the gain is made by, oh, I forgot his first name, uh, Sullivan uh, of strategic coach. And it's a way for you to perceive progress. So where you are right now, where you are beforehand and where you are in the future. Uh, it talks about the flaws of goals in that when you set goals for where you want to be in the future and you're taking the steps to go towards that goal, sometimes you may feel discouraged because on the way to that goal, you may not meet certain criteria, like for example, this amount of words every day, or you know you can't get this thing done by this week or something like that. And you may feel discouraged. Now that is considered as looking at the gap. So the gap is the difference between where you are and where your goals are and the differences between those. So there's a void there and you are paying attention to that. The gain is when you look back at what you've done and appreciate and be grateful and accept that you have reached this far as progress uh, for you to achieve those goals. That's really, really mind-blowing for me because the more that you look at your gap or the, the more you look at where you want to be um, later in the future, that future hasn't happened yet. Right. So we can dream and we can have a very ideal image of where we want to be. I could just be like, oh, I want six figures in cash by next year or something like that. Or I want like five startups and three exits or whatever. But the more that you do things that may or may not be up to your own expectations, the more that you are paying attention to the gap. And that's when you realize that, oh, am I really going to reach there? And that's like a spiral right there. And I'm sure you felt that before. If our frameworks aren't strong enough, we're just going to spiral down to um, have our self-worth damaged or lowering down. So we need frameworks like these, mindsets like these uh, to make sure that that works. Yeah. Being reminded um, of, uh, because like we tend, I think some people tend to be, and I count myself as one of those people, tend to focus on problems because, you know, you want to fix problems. That's why you want to have these rituals of looking at your wins as well. Mm. You're giving thanks for you know, simple things every day in that written meditation in the morning and that monthly meeting with your fellow entrepreneurs and celebrating those things. Yeah. Because, you know, if uh, left to our own devices, I mean, we just want to like, what's the next problem to solve? Okay, this one. So that's like the, the instinct. So that's, uh, that's correct. And another thing sort of related to this is um, instead of goals, um, another way to look at the... Uh, or to see things is in terms of um, systems, upgrading your system. So rather than looking at the endpoint, what do I change in myself and in my habits to be the kind of person that would reach that endpoint? You know, in it, uh, like it's it's impossible for me not to reach that endpoint because I'm I'm that kind of person. So that means. You know, what kind of schedule, what kind of day do I live, what kind of habits do I have? So I think this is um, this is from the guy who uh, wrote Dilbert, uh, Scott Adams. 
Mm. So systems versus goals. So I think that's another way to look at it. But you know, the, the thing with um, goals, it's like the the central the central tension there is that for you to achieve anything, um, like a deep achievement, so your past self has to sort of coordinate your present and future selves for to work together through a vision that you commit to. Yeah, because like that, it has to like it has to be like a continuous, you know, deep work for you to create something big. And it only happens if your past self says, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna do this in the next X number of months, X number of years." But the thing is, it's like your current self and future self is always knows always almost always knows better than your past self. So that's the tension there. When do you actually um, say, "Okay"? So my past self was wrong. The goal that he set was wrong. So I had to create a new one. That's one of the things I'm thinking of right now. It's like, how do you, what is the balance there? Yeah, uh, that is so difficult. (laughs) I'm having trouble trying to find angles to further dive into that uh, rabbit hole of a thing. I I was reading this book uh, uh, called uh, Personality Isn't Permanent uh, by Benjamin Hardy. and it's more on how you view yourself and where you want to go, like setting a certain narrative so that you can reach a future intended version of yourself, right? So if you put it that way, it's more like my goal is to be this kind of person. You, you can safely simplify it down to that level. And he would talk about things like trauma and how your past self can have different things that define who you are right now. And you can always dissociate your relationship with your past self because it's already happened. What matters now is what's uh, your present self and where you will go next. Uh, and that is when we can have co- potential conflicts with my past self experienced this. And now my current self is much more knowledgeable, has more lessons, now has more experience. I feel that my past self is wrong. This is how we should go to go. This is how we should move towards that future. It's so complicated. Why are goals so complicated? I hate that it's so complicated. Um, and the reason why is... I feel that we impose or we associate too much of our identity with a future version of ourself that we feel that we may be disappointed in our current selves because that is not where we are right now. So that is where we want to be. We are not there now. So we feel disappointed or we feel that we have to challenge ourselves. We feel that we have to overexert. We feel that we have to compare ourselves to our past selves, right? So that is yeah. when the, the definition of a goal can be so blurry. And we have frameworks yeah. like SMART goals. And I was reading another book where someone disagreed with the notion of SMART goals because there is little purpose and excitement and passion behind it. So he made something called the focused framework. Mm-hmm. So these are all different articulations of there's a goal. I want to be there. If I follow this direction, I won't get there. How do I change? Yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's, it, there's always a there's always a price mm. to uh, to these kinds of things. It's like you you have to. I mean, the, the stress and the the tension of setting that that vision. I mean, it's, I guess the, this this part of it. This this part of what moves us as well. Yeah. So, yeah. By the way, something I just just remember this something yeah. totally unrelated. But someone asked a question oh. in Twitter. 
Um, did you read that? Oh yes, is it uh, Jesse? Is that right? I think that was it. Uh, asking about the business model canvas. Yes. Okay. So uh, I I know the background story behind this. So mm-hmm. uh, Jesse is an upcoming guest. So we've already talked about this. Uh, and she was vastly interested in uh, the business model canvas and its potential use cases, especially mm-hmm. on how Rome plays a big part in her field, which is startups, entrepreneurship, how mm-hmm. to make the connections and, and relation, um, interconnections, uh, especially with those that she's interested in. So that's why yeah. that she even tagged me and she was like, this is exactly what we were talking about. So mm-hmm. here's my question to you. You know about the business model canvas, obviously, because you talked about it right there. How does Rome help you with using it? Or how does Rome play a part in you utilizing this canvas? I would love to hear your take on this. And if there's anything else that you want to bring in, feel free. Yeah, I'm very excited about this because, um, <laughs> okay, the main thing, so uh, Jesse is involved in startups. Yeah. And the main insight about startups um, by this guy named Steve Bant, I'll talk about him later, is that startups are not simply smaller versions of large companies. So large companies execute business models, while startups, the purpose of startups is to find viable business models. So so Steve Bank is a Stanford professor, and then his ideas essentially um, gave birth to uh, to this lean startup movement and um, other ways of systematically validating business models. So the framework he uses right now for his um, for his system of validating is a business model canvas. So your purpose is essentially to fill out all those um, boxes in the business model canvas. And to me, you could simplify it to, to two aspects. It's like to find a, a repeatable way to create a customer. So the different ways of sales and marketing. Um, depending on your product and your market. And second is a repeatable and scalable way to create value. So the product or service itself or a combination of that and whatever you need to produce that. So, and then your role as a startup entrepreneur is to, to find that, uh, that, that match um, or product market fit in the language of lean startup. So in the lean startup or in... There's um, orchestrations of um, accelerated implementation of this idea, you know, like Start Weekend, Lean Start Machine. So it's like you do that in a in one go, you know, it's like for, for several weeks or for several months. So I'm wondering now if you could uh, mix that idea with the Zettelkasten as well, because the Zettelkasten it is like you're gradually doing the work of like creating a piece of writing. You know, you're creating ideas, atomic ideas, so that they could be assembled eventually to something that emerges from, from your stick box. So I'm wondering if you could apply the same idea to validating business models. So rather than spending one season of your life doing the lean startup, so you already have like your, you have some ideas of what possible businesses should do. And then you have interactions with people. 
You know, it's like, uh, for instance, right now, I'm, I want to validate certain businesses related to genomics. Mm. So I'm in touch with a lot of people in the genomics world, scientists and uh, people in the industry, possible customers. So why don't I just, you know, do my validation when I talk to them? Like, for instance, there's this one business model I'm thinking about and wondering if it could be done. Um, if we could do, um, you know, could help out in genomics research here um, in the Philippines for academics abroad. You know, it's like, and then the main thing is there. It's like, is that well, the basic, most basic question is like, is it being done now? And then what are the, what are the barriers for that to be to achieve? Like, what what skills do we need to have? So rather than waiting for like to schedule the validation of that, so when I meet like possible um, customers, like academics, they ask them like, "Hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of this idea?" So you have research right now. Like, is there a way for you to give us some work? We do the we do the sequencing here in the Philippines, or like you know like endemic viruses here, or like uh, in organisms that you could only find here, and then do that for other the other possible businesses that uh, I have in mind. And then the I guess the way you document that in I, I'm still trying to figure out how to document this in Rome. It's like um, you have the business model canvas, and then the, in the in Steve Bank's version, you have different versions of that. So version one, and then you go out to the building, you, you do your customer interviews, and then you, you um, perhaps you test a minimum viable product, and based on the insights there, you do a pivot. You change one aspect or several aspects of the business model canvas. And um, I don't know, is, is it different pages or is it... Uh, is it nested blocks and then you do different versions? So I don't know yet, man. It's like, uh, I'm sure someone out there would have a better idea on how to do that. But uh, that's definitely something I, I want to do. Mm, okay. Well, uh, my take on this, at least, my assumption is that you will always need to adapt, reiterate, or to update, which means that you would need a template of the canvas pretty much every month. And while you're building your slip box of interactions with people, you make the connections, the phrases, the link references, etc. You would have to review your canvas pretty much every month with the most updated information to check the viability of every single box, whether there's yeah. enough demand or even narrowing down or broadening your potential customers or even narrowing down or broadening uh, the fields that you'd be interested in. So exactly. if, if, we're, if we're talking about so I'm assuming this is project accessible genomics, right? Because I was, I really was, I really wanted to ask you about that. So, assuming that this is um, outsourcing genomic research, so you would have customers ranging from scientists or pharmaceutical companies who would be interested in that, uh, and or you know that scientific prowess that people want to tap into, maybe consulting to a certain degree, or maybe. Uh, research collaborations to a certain degree. So you have this like full stack list of services that this entity in the Philippines can provide and one flagship product will be there. So it's just a matter of laying this out on the canvas and having either versions 
or constant templates that would always change each and every week. And you'd be able to connect, you know, either week one, two, three, four, or month one, two, three, four. How did the canvas change and why? And I'm sure that you would be recording all of these meetings like every day or something like that. Uh, some way you have to find some way to, to tag them. Uh, you would probably have to do a combination of one templating, templating that out and two, making some kind of report or a summary of, or an explanation as to why it has changed and why you think exactly, this is yeah. viable. Uh, if you are doing this with a team, that's probably better if you have a shared graph with a couple of people who are also in the same project. Um, at least that's at least that's how I would see it. Uh, at least that's how I would see it. My, I may be very limited. I mean, I, I, I stopped being in the startup space for, for a couple of years already. So I, I, there might be something I'm missing and there might be certain factors that hinder the speed because I'm not that well informed about genomics. Like what are the different barriers in terms of productivizing? Is that the word for it? trying to turn this into a product like genomics research um but yeah uh what are there any barriers to actually trying that out i'm really curious as to what are people saying when you pitch the idea yeah. to them is it too expensive actually, to outsource or something like that now so actually the project uh, accessible genomics is actually a non-profit uh, volunteer project right now mm, okay. um all these business ideas are like after after I take my master's, I'm in the middle of the master's right now. And after this project, I mean, this project really is like came about because, you know, it's a current pandemic. And then because I just happened to be in this space and I live in the developing world. I mean, it's like, how come we don't have, you know, genomic pathogen surveillance here when the technology is there, it's been proven by scientists to be viable what is missing? So it's really, uh, it's really just a, I mean, to me, it's a project management problem. Mm. Maybe because that's my bias or that's, <laughs> a, that's a thing I could, uh, I could offer. Yeah. So, and then if you like mature technologies, for instance, if you look at, um, like look at Oracle, uh, if you look at uh, like SAP, they could give you a deployment manual. Like, so you, you have this technology, so here's the the project management guide on how to deploy this technology. There's nothing like that right now for this um, for this technology. Uh, this is called the Oxford Nanopore Minion, which is like um, um, free. Like you have to compare this to computing, the revolution of computing to to appreciate this from the outside, because just a few years ago. Um, for you to get a sequencer, it would uh, it would cost you like more than like buying a brand new car. So now, the Minion is as small and is is cost lower than an iPhone. So and then if you look at the graph of the the reduction of cost in uh, genetic sequencing, so it has fallen faster than Moore's law. Moore's law. It's like you have the the cost every eighteen months. This one is you have the cost every seven months. So it's good. There's gonna be like if the more slow change the world with like iPhones in everyone's hand, uh, sorry, mobile phones in everyone's hand, and very cheap computing power. So imagine what will imagine the revolution 
that low cost genetic sequencing will bring. So both in well, mainly in medicine and then in ecology and so many areas of life. Um, so I just want to be in the middle of that revolution. You know, it's like, uh, this is the most <laughs> exciting thing I know about. I just want to be there. And right now this happens to be the, the right project to, to do. And another, maybe another thing that um, I, uh, is interesting when using Rome is that, uh, you know, like uh, in your first episode, um, with Stian, yeah, with Stian, in, in my mind, it's always it's always Haosheng because uh, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's his name in that's his page in my Rome. His, ah, uh, Twitter okay. So okay. this this one. anyway. So he mentioned that um, Rome also trains you to think uh, with all these interconnections. So I think that's what happens. Like one, I'm wondering, like, how did they come up? Oh, how did this project get come about? You know, this, this is like seems to be perfect for my background and skill sets. So I think all the all the time that I spent in Rome connecting ideas, I sort of uh, you know trained my brain to also connect you know ideas like you know being project management. And the other part of my life is genomics. And then currently there's this pandemic. And then, you know, how about we do this project or something like that? So that's, uh, and, you know, um, one reason why I created the idea through reality production stack is like, how do I get more of this? You know, how do I have more of these kinds of projects, which just sort of just fits fits me really well. It's like, this is a, this, are, this is like one of the most exciting projects I've ever, ever involved in. So, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention that as well. So, um, that feels like the greatest fabrication of serendipity I've ever heard. <laughs> like, it really sounds like that. And I, I remember that part, that's the unsaid, um, to think with interconnectivity. That's very, very important. Like he was emphasizing the behavioral changes that we go through as we are using Rome and how it's relevant to your context right now, right? You know, with this pandemic and where you are right now, what you're working on. And then all of a sudden you have this one project. I'm sure that beyond the excitement and the possibility, I, I feel like it's the result of the constant use of Rome and its potential to connect all these things that you now naturally want to connect all of these things. And you see, you now see the angles and you're like, oh, this is how I can fit. This is something really exciting. This is what can come out of it if I marry the two together. What happens if I try, right? Just exactly. trying to answer that is already super exciting. <laughs> already super exciting. Um, I, I, I'm getting there. I, I feel like I'm getting there, but I feel like I can already feel... I'm saying feel so much, but I can see the excitement just from hearing you talk about it. And I think it's because as we're going through this conversation, just talking about Rome, I'm not, I'm not sure how it is going through your mind right now, but to me, I can imagine the connections as we are talking about each and every single topic. And that is the beauty of this podcast, because we can jump from topic to topic, but because you are the constant in this conversation, it is because of you that all these fields have mingled together 
you are the organic embodiment of your Rome, making all these linked references, which came mm-hmm. to this point where you have this grand project uh, that that we can see right now, so we can yeah. visualize. Super interesting. Oh, yeah, wow. I, but I think that could be true with everyone who uses uh, Rome, mm. like to interconnect different parts of their lives, so that they they find this area where it just fits them. And I guess I guess it's also the the core of entrepreneurship. It's like you are creating a job that fits you perfectly. And you're yeah. creating a business okay. so that you will have a job that fits you perfectly. I guess that's it. <laughs> so yeah, like- not only product market fit, but uh, product market founder fit. It's like, are you the right guy for this particular business, for this particular project? Founder fit, right? I mean, is there even a product yet? Right? I mean, <laughs> like, so, yeah. So, yeah. It will, you, like, this is the the journey itself is is like fits me. It's like it's like this is the journey. I wanna. I like. I don't know what's the end of this. Like, I don't know what business will come out of this. I don't know if this will be successful. But the journey itself, like the scientists I get to talk to, the teammates that I get to work with, the things I learn from this. I mean, I'm already winning. Even if this, like, even if we. If nothing comes out of this, I mean, it's like it's this is the best education I could ever dream of getting for genomics. Oh, okay. Wait, actually, you, you've just you just made me think of a question. So I know you thrive the most in gathering a lot of Romans together and trying to create serendipity in between them. One of the things on the roadmap for Rome is that you can reference other people's blocks on their graphs. So. How do you think in the future uh, that will play a part in you making all this uh, making all this happen when there will be a possibility that not only can you bring a couple like a group of people together you can also reference each other's graphs just for that period of time can you imagine the possibilities I would love to hear what you think about that No it's like the the main challenge I have with Rome right now is that it is a specific language which only Romans can speak I mean they could for instance, when I create a, like I created a risk register, which is a list of risks, and then how we, um, how we would address those risks. So I had to trans- transfer the my risk register in Rome to Excel because that's the language that everyone else understands. But imagine if I'm working with uh, everyone in my team is our Rome users, so I could just create that and also. Um, for instance, like I imagine, like we we were having this conversation. I'm wondering, it's like, what are your thoughts on the business model canvas? So instead of just like um, auto-completing using my block reference inside my graph, so maybe I don't know how it will work, but maybe I can also auto-complete. I will search there business model canvas in your graph and see there. Hey, this is uh, some of your thoughts there. So let's see how we could. Uh, Mash that with uh, my own ideas here, or something I could, I could maybe comment there. So I don't know yet, man. It's like uh, it's still. Uh, I'm excited to uh, to see to use that feature in the future. You've also brought that up, that amazing possibility. I never thought about it until now. A startup with all Rome users. I don't. I can't even comprehend the level it's of complexity. Man. It's inevitable. <laughs> I know. So if well, I just like I'm sure it will happen. If I just bring together these people, 
And then, uh, you know, like, I mean, actually, it's already happened. So, <laughs> what you call this? Uh, Romsack? It's a startup. It yeah. came from this, uh, this experiment. And I'm sure many other uh, partnerships and companies will come out uh, if we just bring together people. I mean, it's like, it's, it's like logistically, um, it's some work to, to do it. Um, but I think the value that would come out of it is... Is there's going to be a lot of it, and um, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm gonna insert just insert this in the training right now because I think that's where it could uh, it could live. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting to look forward to. Oh, um, we are already seeing, by the way, um, job descriptions that require Rome usage. Uh, there was one, I believe it was by Listen Notes. I think that's the mm-hmm. website. So they take they take podcast, podcast notes. notes. Podcast notes. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. And one of their job descriptions was like, can use Rome. And that's insane. That's that's already a sign of progress. That it's already a sign of change. Like the potentiality of Rome uh, to that field of just constructing notes and seeing the possibilities from there. Uh, that is uh, fascinating. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I, I don't even know what to say anymore. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Uh, I... Do want to ask you, might as well ask the segments before I lose them uh, in my head. Since we have been talking about Rome in a very Rome-specific context, a lot of the languages that we've been, a lot of the phrases that we've been using are specific to those who use Rome. But how have you tried to describe Rome to someone who hasn't started using it yet? Have you mm-hmm. uh, had that kind of problem before? Yeah, since uh, I mean, I've listened to your your previous podcast, I knew that you would uh, ask this. <laughs> uh, you will also probably ask, like, what does Rome mean to me? Yep. And I think I could just answer both in uh, one go. Sure. And, uh, in the past, um, I would just tell people, this is great, you know, you have to try it because I have no way, I don't know, like, I couldn't figure out how to explain it. But the one who uh, described it to me, he said, it's like, you know, there's this... Um, book called uh, how to take smart notes and back then he was using bear for it and then he said you know the the one the, the software which is uh, best uh, suited for this is um is from research and then when i started using this uh starting to i wanted to when i started um to create a zettel casten i did it in, in my in one note and it was very painful it's like it just didn't fit that particular piece of software. Yeah. So that was my main, uh, I guess, conversion point to Rome. Um, is because it's, it just felt like it was designed for the Zettelkasten. So I guess that could also be the journey of uh, someone. I, it's, like I, it's like, first, the need for this tool called Zettelkasten. I mean, to convince them maybe through the book. And then... And right now, it's like, it's like, what's the best tool to implement a Zettelkasten? So it's Rome Research. Um, but uh, there's another another way I was uh, thinking of. Uh, let, let me try it on you, like sure. uh, how to explain this. Um, do you have like, uh, what's, what's your sport or exercise right now? Oh, um, uh, capoeira, if you know that. Capoeira, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I know about Capoeira, but I'm not. I don't know about the details of how, like how actually professionals. Mm. Are, are you a professional capoeirista or are no, you no, no. Uh, uh, just a hobbyist. hobbyist? 
yeah, okay. yeah hobbyist. I have a so belt and everything, the, but just hobby. Yeah. What's the difference between a professional and a hobbyist? Like how in, the, in, ter- in terms of their practice? Oh, in terms of their practice. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one big difference is that they spend more time on their hands than on their feet. So if you're mm-hmm. a beginner still, you probably wouldn't be doing you know, constant handstands, butterfly flips, uh, butterfly kicks rather, uh, bridges and more. Uh, another is that there's a hierarchy when you battle. So when you are in that circle and then you want to fight, there are non-verbal messages behind certain techniques that you do if you fight with someone or if you battle with someone who is of a lower belt or a higher belt. So as an example, if I'm a yellow belt or if I'm a, you know, like not that high of a belt and I do specific tricks or specific techniques to say a purple belt or a black belt or a brown belt, they will feel insulted. Like they would Mm. actually, they think that it's a sign of disrespect. So as lower belts, we have greater, shall we say, rigidity or there are more rules that apply to the things that we're allowed to do. But once you're higher level, they accept you a lot more to be free form, to be more fluid, to be a lot more mm-hmm. acrobatic, to be doing certain things like teasing you or like blocking your leg or um, making funny faces or something like that. Um, and I think it's to do with the years of really appreciating one, the culture and two, the moment when you are in that, uh, in that circle doing capoeira. Because who I am when I'm doing it it's very, very different person, like very, very different person. And I would try to describe that to my teacher. This was years ago, though. I tried to describe that to my teacher and she would understand. Like she would understand really well because she does the same as well. And uh, yeah, y- y- before you start, normally you would face each other on one corner of the circle and then you would do something like a, something like a personal prayer, mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting. Each person's ritual is unique to themselves for me when i start i give myself permission to go wild and that gave me enough shall we say energy to do a lot of kicks to do flips to do crazy things or maybe even disrespect disrespect the teacher just as a joke or something like that but yeah the the difference is the difference is the level of freedom in what we can do once we're doing capoeira i think that's like the biggest uh difference between a professional one and a hobby techniques or tools in terms of like um their uh, their training the difference between a hobbyist and a professional ah okay so for professionals there are more there are more tumbles and there are more flips so these are high risk dangerous acrobatic feats that that they will be practicing for because they need that when they would level up a belt. You need to showcase those techniques as you're battling your master or your mestre. I think I believe that's how you say it. Um, when you are a lower belt, you'll still be using the you know standard kick or the standard movements. You probably won't be allowed to do no hand flips or butterfly kicks until like four belts in. So they would actually stop you from doing that. So mm-hmm. tumbling, learning how to crash like safely. Um, and sometimes you get one-on-one teaching from the teacher because they know that you're trying to aim for a higher belt. 
uh, they would also try to guide you or help you with doing these flips. Um, so yeah, those are some of the tools and techniques. Uh, yeah. The single largest one that is hard for, that sets the difference between professionals and beginners is just learning how to handstand. And we're talking mm-hmm. about like 40 seconds, 40 second handstands or something like that, which is insane. I can't do any of that at all. I need to, I need a wall, right? I'm not that good. Like I need a wall, um, but yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know if this explanation works, but um, I would ask that. Okay. Of uh, like if I'm trying to explain Rome, it's like what's your what's your craft and what's the difference between a hobbyist and a professional? Because in terms of knowledge work, in terms of like my work as a project manager, my work as an entrepreneur. So professionals have like power tools, you know, and techniques. So that's what I'm. That's how I'm viewing Rome right now. Okay. This is like a power tool for thinking, um, particularly in in this. I'm using it in a specific way for my profession, but it's uh, you know, it's it's. I imagine it's like uh, uh in the past. Okay, so my my main exercise right now is uh, strength training with a barbell. Yeah. So in the past. You, I mean, the the old in the olden days, they would just uh, lift heavy rocks, and then someone invented uh, the barbell, oh, and okay. where you could do, calibrate very precisely the amount of weight you you lift. So I think uh, I think Rome is like that. It's like uh, in the past, we have some some thinking tools. We write down our thoughts in some pieces of paper. This one is designed especially for thinking in the in this world of ours right now. So I think that's, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll try it again with, uh, if the next time. <laughs> no, mine is I, a very uh, difficult thing. <laughs> yeah. Martial arts. The thing is you don't need any tools with martial um, arts. So <laughs> I, I think you can, uh, because you will need to do core strength training for mm. certain things. Uh, well, I'll, I'll give you one example for capoeira. You need to know, you need to have proper ba- balance when mm-hmm. you're doing handstands. Part of that is making sure that you have a great core, and also to ensure that your legs are always tense enough that you can handle a uh, handstand. One example of trying to help you with training that without going into handstand form is to do calisthenics or go through iron rings. I think that's what you call them. Iron rings? Um, Olympic you know, rings? You, yeah, Olympic rings. Yeah, that way you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Olympic rings. Um, to practice balance and or to at least strengthen your core. These are tools that are not necessarily capoeira specific, but they help you in trying to elevate you to the next level because you need requirements. Like there are certain requirements before you can try to level up to the next belt. Uh, they're not strict requirements, but you know they sort of want an estimate. So maybe that's the closest thing. But then again, capoeira is a very weird <laughs> uh, martial art to use this question on. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, better... Uh... Yeah, anyhow, yeah, just the difference between a, I guess the main thing is that the difference between a hobbyist thinker and a professional thinker is that like you have to have your your tools for that. And this is it. This is a, a tool for thinking for a professional. A power tool for professional thinkers. Okay. All right. That's... <laughs> That that is going to be uh, that's going to be obviously added uh, to the public Rome graph. Uh, I'm trying to build this whole whole list of how people describe uh, Rome to people. It's really fascinating because people have been using many different ways to describe one tool. 
one of the most yeah. interesting, interesting ones you heard. Okay, Michael Ashcroft said it is a magical thinking playground, which is funny to me. Like, it's great, right? It, it reflects his character, which is amazing, by the way. He's a great guy to talk to. Uh, it encompasses what, uh, it encompasses the thinking that can happen in this space and what can come out of it. It's magical. You do your thought process, all happens here, and it's a playground. You are free to explore. You are free to make connections. You are free to do whatever you want. So that's, you know, that level of chaos, it's like articulated in that sentence. So that's one. Um, what was it? Uh, oh, uh, Rob Hayesfield says Excel for text, I believe. So you have your formulas, you put it together, you transform them and you have new outputs. And that's probably one of the best ways to put it, uh, especially to those who are relatively well knowledgeable about Excel. They would probably know. Yeah. Uh, or at least you, yeah, estimate. You, yeah. You, you, think of, you think with numbers in Excel, yeah, yeah. like you create graphs, you an- analyze them, but what's the, what's the, what's analogous when it comes to a text to ideas. So I guess it's, a, it's pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. It's like Excel for thoughts yeah. or Excel yeah. for notes or words or something like yeah. that. So those are, those are pretty uh, interesting. Yeah. Right. I know you said that you have questions for me, but so is there anything that you want to ask uh, before we wrap up and get straight to the on the fly notes? Yeah. The, what you call this? The, um, what are the most surprising things you've, uh, you've heard? in your um in your interviews okay so right um i mean i have it right in front of me but i'll let me see if i can think of things that are immediately uh, off the top of my head <clears throat> so from episode one stian called the linked references and inbox that sounds so obvious right but it blew my mind because it shows that he doesn't use the main blocks in a page unless necessary he would nest everything under linked references and you can make the connections later on by just looking down like your filters uh by having looking at a filtered search of uh, everything on that one page that's connected with that so when that when he said that uh, i realized that one i haven't used enough of the linked references to actually make enough connections because he had more emphasis on linked references and i didn't Right. So that was pretty interesting. A pretty interesting distinction. Um, and then, so the next one was uh, Rob Hayesfield. There's one section on, on, on behavior, on the behavior of people when they're trying to search for your notes or when they're just trying to search for your public graph or your digital garden or what have you. It never occurred to me that people have different search behaviors when trying to understand you. So as an example, if I go through your website and I look at your Twitter, I'm like, okay, you're working on this, right? And I go to your website and I want to know more. What are the different ways where I can find out more about you? If I go to your page, it will be projects. It will be searching for keywords that I know most about because I think you might have a connection with them. It might be an article that you've done. It might be a video that you've done. Or I might just go to your main page and just be like, oh, let's just click and just see what happens, right? I want to know more about you from the things that you've just been, that you have published, right? Whatever it is. That's fascinating to me because, because 
things like digital gardens and things like public room graphs allow for people to be completely free with trying to understand other people. And I think that was really mind-blowing to me because Rome is now a tool that can accommodate for that. Can you imagine going through someone's OneNote? <laughs> right? That'd be stupid. Like so many folders, so many tags, like what the heck, right? It's so rigid, right? Maybe even going through someone's Notion, maybe it's possible. You can maybe direct them in a certain way. Um, but you have these, what, what do you call them? These forms like... Uh, a blog that maybe are is more tag based instead of category based or a digital garden or even a public graph uh caters for everything as long as you make the right connections of course um but i mean those are some immediate examples i can probably think of a few more uh, so another another thing i notice is patterns in use cases for using roam in people's fields so some would use it internally. They would never ever use Rome uh, in a way where it will be shown to other people. Or they will only show the result or the output of that Rome to other people. But there are people, there are Rome users who would even share part of their Rome, like share a part of their, you know, their thinking space, their graph, right? No matter how private or public it is, uh, to other people. To me, that's scary. And the reason why is because I feel that my Rome is too personal to do something like that. Too personal. Uh, it's not even about the, the thinking connections and whatever. That's fine. You know, the ideas are fleeting and that's perfectly fine. We have it recorded. It's okay. But I have many more personal things like, you know, morning pages and whatnot and my vulnerabilities, right? I don't really want that to be shown in public. Um, but we have, we have used cases like, like Mark Robertson, who, who is who does live roaming would pull info from his own private roam to share with his students as he's teaching history in college. Pretty fascinating. And we have uh, Maggie Appleton who has shared, who has done a roam tour in public for everyone to see because they want to see how she does her workflow. And then now in the episode, she told me that her system is completely different now because it failed right not sorry not failed but it wasn't as robust as she wanted it to be so she was looking back at the video like oh uh it, it could have been better she didn't share much of it or she didn't share enough of it to you know um sorry she didn't really she didn't really stay in one place so it was only in that one moment in time where her own was that she was okay with her own being presentable or viewable to the public. So that was that was pretty fascinating uh, behavior. But overall, as a graph, a podcast about Rome, it's, it's really interesting to be able to, one, find the connections between all these guests, no matter what they say. But two, it's a self-reflection of what I see in these guests. Because this public Rome graph is a reflection of my conversations with them. So how they answer my questions through Rome. So every single connection that is on this graph is shown to the public. These are all the connections that I made. So a public Rome FM graph is probably one of the most vulnerable things I would have ever done in my life. <laughs> so, <laughs> realizing that is kind of scary. 
it, it's kind of scary, but it's also an interesting experience. So, I mean, those are some examples. Like, I maybe is there maybe if there's something specific that you want to know, know more about, um, maybe but how the, people well, use or something. What they want to know is actually like after like all these conversations, like how's it or how has these conversations or particular conversations changed your routine or how you think about things? What's like, what's the biggest change in uh, your how you view the world or how you live your day i can't give you i cannot give you the biggest change i feel like i take small pieces of changes and or influences with with each episode and the reason why is because the more that we do conversations with each episode with each guest i will find agreements but i will also find disagreements which is pretty fascinating like there are times when people would show me workflows they would show me their rationales we would be talking through the conversation and I will be thinking in my head, that wouldn't work for me. But hearing them in the conversation and having these notes on the graph, I get a second glance at what they were talking about. And I would realize that, oh, okay. Um, now this information that's been given to me and on this graph has given me the ability to, one, shape my Rome routines towards a greater reflection of myself or strengthen my current routine because of my disagreement with them. So the more that I talk with people, I'm not sure if confidence is the right word, but the more that I talk with people, the greater my relationship with Rome Research, the tool becomes. If that is a very, very that's the most cryptic answer I can ever give you because that doesn't really share with you anything. But the, the changes are more accumulative rather than one big change and maybe you may be asking this question too early because we're only mm -hmm. like six to seven episodes in like okay. maybe we'll yeah, come back for that do you do you yeah. man like uh creating a summary or something or an article in rome brain or something <laughs> uh about what you what you will have learned after like maybe like 50 episodes or something like that oh 50 <laughs> episodes oh wow like 50 rome cult episodes of experiences fields careers and their relationship with rome put into the mind of one person i don't know it sounds pretty overwhelming but i think it'll be great to have that all in a public graph because uh, then everyone yeah, will be able to learn snapshot from that. View before and after that <laughs> <laughs> i'll just be like disheveled grow like a beard like super long and i'll just be so wise with <laughs> everything put it yeah, so you reach enlightenment by then <laughs> So here's the question for you. What would you like to see more of from Rome FM, the podcast? Like not even, not even from me, but like having a podcast about Rome. Seeing as how you're, you're looking at the graph, you've been listening to these episodes. Is there like a certain expectation or is there uh, a prediction that you will want to see happen? Maybe it's still also too early for that question. Mm. It's like okay. I only listened to two episodes. Okay. So, you know, um, I'm sure you're. You mean you're you're the guy in the middle of it. I'm sure you'll see, um, you know, how to uh, how to improve it with each conversation. And yeah, I'm just look forward to like uh, the future of the, this thing you're doing, man. Hey, one last question. Yeah, yeah. What are those cards in your hands? Oh, this. Oh, you notice yeah. this? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, it's my it's my fidget spinner. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure. So. Uh... All right, for our audio listeners, uh, I've just been playing with these uh, deck of cards in my hand the whole time because that's how I keep 
paying it like that's how I stay um, attentive uh, throughout our conversations. Mm -hmm. But uh, let me show it to you. So this is, I believe it's called an art oracle deck, I believe. And it's just a deck of cards where each and every card is a different figure in art, in the world mm. of art. So there's a, there's a piece of artwork, there's the name of a person, and there are these quotes that are related <laughs> either to the artist or inspired by the artist. Like the writers or the creators of this deck mm -hmm. wrote quotes that are related to this. And sometimes the quotes are a bit woo-woo, but uh, in other times it's pretty interesting just to shock my mind with something to think about. So every day I would have, you know, I would shuffle the deck and then I would pull out one card and this is the card, right? It's by this artist. Mm -hmm. And then I would think to myself, okay, how would I apply? So the following three quotes from this, from this card, it says, learn everything from nothing, include yourself in your list of materials and enroll in a judo class. First of all, I'm not going to enroll in a judo class because I'm not interested in judo, but how can I apply the first two quotes, right? So as the machinations on my mind are working and thinking about that, I'll be writing my morning pages or I will yeah. be looking at that. Yeah. So yeah. So, sorry should, about this. I should, I, that, I should add that in the idea to reality production stack, man. Like the, in that, in the first column of uh, generating ideas. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you have these, um, I, I can show you like, maybe I'll like send you a link as to like what the, what the name of the deck cool, is cool. Uh, sometimes. Um, I, right, I don't, I don't think it's meant to be taken. Awesome, yeah. yeah, I don't think it's meant to be taken seriously. But yeah, oh, really, honestly, thank you so much for this. Um, if we want to contact you for anything that we talked about in this super long, amazing conversation, uh, what is the best way to really contact you and talk more to you about things? Twitter will be probably the best way. Um, I tweet about uh, Rome with the uh, handle RomeFu. Um, and then my my other account, uh, my personal account, I talk about all other things there. K Corazzo. So that's probably the best way. Yeah, and I always remember you as K Corazzo as well because uh, I always see the Twitter username more than I see your name. <laughs> I still need to ask you, how do I say your name? Is it Khalil? Is that right? Khalil, yeah. yeah. Khalil, okay. All right. Well, Khalil, thank you so much. And I will see you on Twitter. All right, Nor. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to the show. Make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast listening app. And for a full version of the show notes to this episode, you can check out the public Rome graph. The link to that will be in the description right below. For more updates, comments, feedback, and suggestions, you can reach out to me at RomeFM on Twitter. Keep roaming your thoughts, and I will see you in the next episode. Take care.